1: All right, uh, I am watching the Masters. Am I allowed to do this? I'm gonna, I'm gonna interview one of the best NFL interviews in the country. I mean, when every year when Steve Palazzolo ranks the, you know, media hits that he does, it goes out of bounds. Show Dan Patrick, Colin Cowherd, some of the podcasts that he does, and then so on. And this is the respect that, that Blake and I have for Steve Palazzolo, Pro Football Focus, PFF.com. I've got the Masters up, and I'm watching it, which, by the way, it looks like pretty good weather there. The weather around in the Sun Belt right now is not necessarily awesome. And I'm also going to interview uh, our guy, Steve Palazzolo, who joins us on the Farm Bureau Insurance Guest Line. By the way, our show today is brought to you by Edwin Watts Golf Shop on County Line Road. Uh, obviously, in honor of the Masters and the Masters weekend. Edwin Watts Golf Shop, County Line Road. Take your golf game to another level before you go to Dancing Rabbit Golf Club for the best selection of golf clubs, golf balls, and everything golf at Edwin Watts Golf Shop on County Line Road. Steve Palazzolo, happy Thursday, buddy. How are you?
0: Doing great. Hey, I'm about to do the same thing. I'm about to go live on a podcast in about 30 minutes or an hour and I'll have the masters on too. Just going to throw it on my iPad while we're live. So, I, I get love it. I love it.
1: I love it. I love it. Uh all right. Who's going to win this? Uh, who All right, is it Sheffler? Is it Rory? Is it Kepka? Is it Cam Smith? What what direction is is Steve Palazzolo going this weekend? Who's your winner? I like uh
0: I'll go with Sheffler. Because my uh, my kids like Chef they like uh, they like reading for him every single week. So we'll go with the uh, simple one. I get to watch more Masters Thursday and Friday while I'm at work than I do over the weekend because you know the four kids running around. So I'll get my fix here today and tomorrow.
1: Uh, all right, let's talk Emmanuel Forbes and Jonathan Mingo. Let's start with Forbes. Had a hell of a career, Steve. Um, whenever you start as a true freshman in the SEC and perform well. Pretty amazing, especially when you're not on one of the better teams. Um, I, I, this theory is, I think, kind of unfolding over the last few years when you start for Georgia and Bama and how, how much buffer you have around you compared to some of the other teams like State, Ole Miss, Arkansas, and South Carolina. Uh, and, and his first year was all conference games because of COVID, Steve, 10 conference games. Kid's been yep. a dynamic playmaker from the start. Talk about what you see in him as a prospect, and where do you think he could go in a few weeks?
0: Yeah, Forbes. So uh, we're about to on our uh, the PFF NFL podcast right now. We're about to do our cornerback ranking show. That's that's what's coming up in an hour. Or so um, I like Forbes a lot. I think uh, I got I I don't have my list directly in front of me, but I think I have him as my number four corner. And I know on the PFF draft board we have him at five. The consensus draft board has him at five, I believe. Um, you know, so that's a lot of different outlets, you know, rolled up into one. And I'm, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Forbes is a is a late first rounder. I think the question there is going to be 166 pounds. You know, we just saw Cameron Dantzler a couple of years ago being a you know at about 170, right? Um, I think that's the only real question that NFL teams are going to have, and it's an interesting year for corners where there's a lot of guys in that 175, 180 pound range who are good players, but when you watch the actual tape with Forbes. So aggressive at the catch point, he is an, he's a ball hawk. He's an aggressive tackler. You know, he plays like a guy who says, "Hey, I'm 166. I need to make up for it with some physicality, and I, I got to play above my my playing weight." I love the way he plays. So, um, I like Forbes a lot. I think it's an interesting cornerback class where there's a few names that I think have separated themselves at the top. But I think I think Forbes is in that second tier, and, and I think I'd be I'd be happy taking him probably late first. I'd be thrilled in the second. If that's where I got him, I, I think the on-field production, uh, everything that you mentioned, you know, I, I try to, I try to do uh, more of like a production model for players uh, that involves combine and all that stuff. And Forbes shows out very well in that, so I like him a lot. I like him a lot as a player, and yeah, definitely hearing his name more in the in the first round conversation.
1: And, and you're you're really confident that he'll be off the board by the end of the second, right?
0: I'm not confident about anything NFL draft related. I, I think if people go in, I mean, let's just be serious here. I, I, I think draft analysts are, think that they're paid to be confident in exactly what's going to happen when we don't know. I mean, so I'm not that confident, but I do think, yeah. I mean, I think he's a good enough player that he's going and say the top 50 picks. Um, but again, it takes, it takes one team to pick them. It takes several teams to say, oh, he's too small for us. He's too slight. He doesn't fit our measurables, whatever it might be. For guys to drop, you know, and for other, you know, there's there's a lot of variables there. But yeah, I like I like Forbes at least in the top 50.
1: I like the way you frame that up with with draft experts. Really, we don't know anything, but we try to you know do research and come up with the best educated guess. I, I like that. All right. Well, so hopefully Forbes will go in the in the top two rounds. Like you said, very talented. The only knock is weight. And I do believe that that is something he can overcome, and I, I think he can add another 10-plus pounds easily to to that frame. Uh, Steve Palazzolo on the Out of Bounds Show and the Farm Bureau Insurance Guest Line. He's doing podcasts, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pro Football Focus, PFF.com. They're everywhere. Uh, all right, let's go to Jonathan Mingo. Now, Mingo had a nice career at Ole Miss He looks unbelievable on the field as far as physically. What do you see in Jonathan Mingo, wide receiver from Ole Miss, as a prospect?
0: Yeah, so he's a fascinating prospect right now, too. So we ranked our receivers on our podcast a couple weeks ago. Um, And I'll I'll be honest, I think I was a little bit low on Mingo. I'm going to go back and and rewatch a little bit. My podcast partner, Sam, absolutely loved him. He put him at number eight on his wide receiver rankings, but he was talking to me out there. And he's like, wait a second. I actually want to put him at three or four. You know, he's like, I actually liked him more than, than Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee. And, and he even compared Mingo to, uh, Quentin Johnson, who's getting, you know, the first round hype out of TCU. Uh, you know, my buddy Sam doesn't love Quentin Johnson from TCU. And he's like, I'd rather have Mingo, you know, in the second, right? With, with, you know, a little, little bit later in the draft. And then we had uh, Senior Bowl Director Jim Nagy on our podcast yesterday who said people are sleeping on Mingo. He's the guy that wide receiver coaches around the league are really high on that maybe the draft media hasn't caught up to yet. And, you know, for me, I think a big part of it is the good receivers in this class are all pretty small, right? You have a lot of good receivers. Zay Flowers from Boston College, Josh Downs from UNC, Tank Dell from Houston. You have all these undersized type of receivers And I've talked to a lot of people around the league who are like, man, I I don't love any of these receivers. But I think if you're looking for a a big, fast receiver, there's not a lot of options in the draft. But Jonathan Mingo is one of them. He's big, he's fast. It shows up on the field at the Senior Bowl when he had those one-on-ones against other good corners. Um, It shows up in some of our metrics where we track game speed. You know, Mingo's got maybe the best game speed of any receiver in this class from what, we've saw, from what we've seen over the last couple of years. So I, I think he's a, you know, it, it, calling a guy a riser is really just, hey, the draft media is catching up to what the NFL thinks. But I think Mingo is start, I'm starting to believe he's going to hear his name called in the second and that there's going to be some teams, you know, maybe looking at him in the 40s or 50s thinking, hey, this is the guy that we really want. This is the big outside receiver that we want. Um, the production's up and down, but the on-field, you know, size, movement, you know, things that you mentioned – all of that stuff stands out in this class of really small, slight wide receivers. receiver. I think Mingo, uh, you know, stands out as just a different type of option.
1: Well, that's awesome. Good for him. If he can, you know, maybe he can, maybe he is and will continue to see a bump and, and rise up the boards. Uh, it, it's that's interesting what you just laid out for us, Steve Palazzolo, Pro Football Focus, because uh, I see everything that you're talking about. Right, physically gifted, strong, fast, uh, all that, and, and it also the 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 fact that so many of these wide receivers are small in stature uh, this particular year. But I thought he had an underwhelming career for the most part yeah. at Ole Miss. So that's 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 interesting that that he's got the buzz now. When I thought you know he was solid to pretty good, but nothing. Nothing special in the SEC the last four years.
0: Yeah, I mean, so I think when, when I look at a guy like Mingo, you know, you watch his film, you've got that, you've got that crazy one-handed catch. I think it was against Central Arkansas. Uh, crazy one-handed catch down the field. And then you have these other routes that are a little underwhelming. Uh, Brian Branch from Alabama made a great play on him on a two-way go. He should have that advantage against a guy like Branch, and undersized nickel. But um, with Mingo, I think with, with the NFL looking at it, if the long speed plays, right? You see a guy like Marquez Valdez Scantling for Kansas City last year. He's their third or fourth option, but he's just the same thing he did at Green Bay, which was take the top off the defense, run deep over routes, run go routes, run post routes, and even if the production's not off the charts, you're drawing defenders, and every now and again, you're getting behind the defense, creating big plays. I think you could see teams maybe looking at Jonathan Mingo like that. He's going to be our deep threat. He's going to be our our gravity guy, right? full safeties and corners his way. Um, even if he's not as polished as a route runner and the production won't be high, hey, we expect this guy to average 16, 17 yards per catch in be our deep threat. So I think that's where teams might be looking at Mingo, even though there's there's definitely parts of his game that could be better.
1: Okay, that makes that makes sense with where we are in the NFL today, as a third or four option, fourth option with what he can do down the field and stretching the defense. Okay, that that makes sense. This will be, you know, will he? Will he go in the first three rounds? If he does, will he become a pretty productive NFL player after a nice career, but one that I think people thought he would do a lot more in Oxford, especially with the success that they've had at at wide receiver the last 15 years. Steve Palazzolo, pro football focus on the Farm Bureau Insurance guest line. Blake? Go
2: ahead. Yes, Steve. I wanted to piggyback off this because it brings up an interesting point, um, kind of how you're evaluating players as an NFL draft analyst. I understand every position is different, but why does it seem like so much we rely on what a QB accomplished or didn't accomplish in college individually and like what they show, whereas with a receiver, like you just mentioned, Mingo, and maybe he may not be the best example, but it's the same theory, is why Why does he not have to show it? Like Why can you see more traits and projectability in that position or in other positions and then the QB it seems like hey gotta have so many starts gotta have this on tape gotta have that on tape well these other positions don't necessarily have that and yet they still go high
0: yeah good question Blake I thought you were going to fire off an early fantasy question but yeah that was a good one
2: I do have Uh, a dynasty draft coming up in two days so I'll text you (laughs) but it's fine
0: (laughs) okay yeah text me I'll give you I'll give you all my uh, my sleepers Um, so it, it is a really good question so here's my answer Every position is different in the NFL because receiver, you can play to a guy's strengths. You can hide him, so to speak, right? If you want, and you can just let him do what he does well. I think DK Metcalf is a great example of that. DK Metcalf went to Seattle and he ran go routes, post and slants for the most part, and he's awesome at those things, right? Go cover DK Metcalf on a go, right? Go try to stay, you know, keep up with his size and physicality. If you make DK Metcalf you know, run all the underneath stuff and try to be this, you know, quote unquote, complete receiver, you're just going to waste reps. So at certain positions, you can't hide your weaknesses, right? If you're a a cornerback and you're bad at something or you're, you know, you have a weakness, you might be able to get hidden and say like a zone scheme versus a man scheme. But overall the defense, the offense can find you. If you're a receiver and you're one of three or four options and you're just good at being a deep threat or just good after the catch or just good as a possession guy, teams can play to those strengths. So I think it depends on the position. And that's why receiver, I always say, is, a, you know, which flavor are you looking for? When we put receiver rankings together, it, everybody's top 10, 15, will all be different. And it, it's going to be what teams are looking for. Do they want size and the deep threat? Do they want an underneath, uh, you know, after the catch type of guy? So I, I just think it's the nature of the receiver position that you can look and say, here's what this guy does well. If we play to those strengths, we can get production out of him. Whereas other positions, like, say, offensive line, if you can't pass protect, it doesn't matter how good of a run blocker you are, you can get exposed. Whereas a receiver, if you're not a great route runner, hey, we could just, you know, run you deep all the time and, you know, hope you catch a few passes down the field.
1: I love that. Okay. If you're left tackle, we can't look at it like that. But. Or corner. Um, Or QB, of course. Or QB, yeah. Yeah. if you're great at at short and intermediate but never can – do the long ball or you can you can make the long ball throw but can't be super accurate within okay got it that, that's that's good that's really good steve palazzolo pro football focus who is who's your number one receiver on your board
0: i, I like jackson smith and jigba from ohio state i, I think he's the the cleanest prospect he, he works mostly out of the slot at ohio state but he certainly has the skills to win outside i think he's he's the best route runner uh he, he looked on tape like he ran four, five, five. Um, he ran four, five, three. You know, he doesn't look fast. He doesn't play super fast, but I think he's the best guy getting open. And, um, uh, I think he'll immediately become, uh, just a high volume, uh, receiving threat, a Keenan Allen type, we'll say, uh, Amandra St. Brown type, the way those guys are being used around the NFL. So I like Smith and Jigba as probably the cleanest, um, other than last year's injury, you know, but, um, but I think he's the best receiver in this class.
1: With, with Bryce Young and the top five guys at quarterback, how would you describe this QB class? Average, good, meh. You know the 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 top five. I mean, I don't I don't even know who you're. But but if you look at Young and Stroud and Levis and Richardson and Hendon Hooker, and maybe you had somebody else in there, and that's fine. But as a whole, how do you grade this class? A C, or what would you go with?
0: Oh, I think it's like a C plus B minus. Okay. You know, I, I really because because all of the prospects have, uh, I, uh, yeah, but about them, right? I like mm-hmm. Bryce Young a lot, but he's he's really small and and you know historically small, and we just don't know how that's going to play. I, I think C J Stroud could be really good with a really good with a good supporting cast around him as a distributor of the ball. I think Stroud could be good. Of course, we know Anthony Richardson, his projections could be all over the place. He's got a lot of places where he needs to improve, but he can mitigate that with his special athleticism. I think Will Levis is a huge question mark uh, where he's just a bag of tools still. And, uh, you know, whether Tendon Hooker or, you know, other quarterback, I mean, Hooker's got his own questions. Being 25 years old, coming off the ACL, coming off this uh, very college-friendly system that has almost nothing that translates to the NFL. So, and he's 25, 26 years old. So, I, I, there's so many question marks for all the guys at the top. So I, overall, I'd say, hey, it's a C plus type of class. I think two of those guys probably hit. Historically, two out of five will probably hit, and, and I think that's fair. Um, just not sure exactly what that's going to look like. You know, I got the most mm. faith in Bryce Young, but I, you know, I'm also a little scared of his slight stature and everything. But I think he's the, the best QB in the bunch.
2: Okay,
1: I think I would give the QB class a C minus. D plus for this year. Um, Your heart greater though. Your heart. Yeah. I, well, you're right. I, I think you're sleeping on Henan Hooker. I, I think all that stuff can be can be taught. I why couldn't twenty five be an asset instead of a a detriment or a liability? A, a liability, Steve. The fact that Henn and Hooker is is twenty five. He seems like he's got his stuff together and and. You know, had a. I mean, he took a program that had been dog poo poo for fifteen years, and and elevated every. I mean, man, when you beat Bama, um, in the in the game that he had, and then when you go down to Tiger Stadium, and and win there, and actually some other games that he just he, I felt like he carried the team, Steve.
0: Yeah. So to me, the context there is. It's not so much, oh, he's older, therefore he can't improve. It's, it's, it's the way they do it in baseball, right? Like if I go when I was in low A, or I was in rookie ball and I was 24 years old playing against 21 year olds. I dominated. I did great, but it's like, of course I should. I was 24. You're supposed to dominate 21 year olds. Like they, they focus on that a lot at baseball, yeah, right? Man. In baseball, because you have to make minor league adjustments. So the adjustment here is yes, Hendon Hooker was awesome. They beat Bama. They did some great stuff. But Hendon Hooker is also a year younger than Lamar Jackson when he's doing that, right? So that's where the context comes in, right? Here's this 25-year-old man playing in college football. It Yes, be impressed with what he did, but also understand here's a guy that normally would be in year three of his NFL career when he's doing this. Your, your physical development, your maturity, and all that stuff is probably higher, right? So then the question is how do you weigh what you just saw right it's more impressive if what you just saw was from a 21 or 22 year old than if it was a 25 year old so that's i think where that stuff needs to get get weighed just a little bit when it comes to the age stuff not that he can't improve between the ages of 25 and 30 or anything like that it's that as a 25 year old you're doing that against 21 year old kids you should probably be dominating as he did right so it's so you don't want to just overweigh the performance versus say a performance from a Bryce young who's much younger
1: okay steve palazzolo nfl insider on the out of bounds show okay well steve why does tennessee's scheme hurt Henan hooker but oklahoma's the oklahoma sooner scheme for 15 years didn't hurt the oklahoma quarterbacks
0: I don't think – so the Oklahoma scheme, it's it's not all the same, right? So the the Tennessee scheme is the Baylor tree, the old Art Bryles tree, where they're doing things in such a different way, right? Not only the really wide, wide receiver splits, but they they don't really even have reads to their offense. It it is literally, we're going to spread you so wide and get fast receivers, we're going to force the defense to play one-on-one. They have to. They have to play one-on-one. And we're going to run go balls and, and comebacks and slants, right? And, and, it, and that's it, hitch routes and, and slants. Um, so we've seen a lot of Baylor quarterbacks. Bryce Petty was really productive in college. We've seen this where the it's just a whole bunch of deep balls where you just get your Jalen Hyatt's on one-on-one or Cedric Tillman's one-on-one and you let them play. Um, we, we track what, you know how often a, a quarterback gets to their second read on a play. Hendon Hooker's done it 15 times. Over the last two years, wow, fifteen times he's had to go from one side of the field to the other. So again, this doesn't mean he can't do it, right? None of this says oh he can't do it. It right. just means it is a projection to to see him play in a more traditional NFL style offense. Okay, I know now, what the Oklahoma ask. scheme. Yeah, good. All right, so I, I,
1: okay, so fifteen times he he went from one side of the field to the other in two years. Do you know, I doubt it off the top of your head, do you know how many times Lamar Jackson did that at Louisville? Or, or was he asked to do that? Did Petrino demand that he do that? I don't I, I don't know. I just watch the games and drink beer.
0: I don't know the number, but it was high. It was okay. actually high. Because Got it. when Lamar came out, I said, do not say that Lamar Jackson just runs around and makes plays. He actually sits in the pocket, goes through reads, and when he runs, it's a called play. It's a designed run for the most part. So, Lamar, okay. he sat in there and tried to play quarterback a lot. Yes. And again, okay. it's not a knock on Hooker. It's not a knock on Tennessee. It's an awesome college offense. It's really tough to project sure. anything from that Baylor tree to the NFL wow. any position.
1: Which goes to Matt Corral, which we don't have time for, but we have one minute and Blake wants to jump back in. Blake?
2: Actually, I didn't realize we were out of time, so that was not bad. I was going to keep going. no, no, I like
1: where we're going here, and we'll have Steve on next week or the next, just depending on what's going on before the draft. Because I want to continue to build off Hooker, Oklahoma, the Browse tree, Kiffin, and then where Steve would go. Next week, we're going to ask Steve, if if everything was perfect and Matt Corral was healthy, where would he stack up with the five guys that were – that we're talking about in the draft Bryce Young Stroud Levis Richardson and, and Hooker and then we'll continue to bounce back and forth on some of these college offenses and I wonder if it's going to matter going forward I guess it will okay anyway Steve Palazzolo enjoy the Masters today and tomorrow and we will uh, we'll catch up next week thanks buddy
0: alright thanks guys appreciate it
1: Pro Football Focus PFF.com The show is brought to you by the amazing, super premium Patron Añejo and Patron Extra Añejo Tequila, 100% Blue Agave. You can find it at Briarwood Wine and Spirits or any of the wine and spirit shops in Mississippi.